Hello, Stephen Seifert. It's the Dulcimer Geek Podcast with Dan Landrum and Stephen Seifert. Brought to you by all the people that make it possible for us to do what it is we do for a living. My <laughs> goodness. Hopefully that's you, listener. So for me, for me, well, let me, let me act like I'm not trying to make this be personal. What is that for you, Steve? <laughs> and hurry up and ask me. Welcome to Dan and Steve in the morning. What does it mean for me? Golly. Yeah, yeah. How do you, how do you, who is it who makes it possible for you to make a living? Anybody who gets excited about dulcimer and what I do. Which is like I mean, festivals and dulcimer school. Every person who hires somebody. Yeah. Dulcimerschool.com and uh, dulcimerplayersnews.com. Whenever I mess up and somebody writes me and tells me and then we talk and we work it out and and then uh, we're friends. I'm really thankful for that kind of stuff. You told me you were at a festival in Florida, and you mentioned uh, Dulcimer Players News Magazine to the audience, and there were some people in there that had never heard of it. That scares me. Well, it shouldn't scare you. It should excite you. <laughs> well, there is that part. There is that part of that, but it, 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 yeah, scares. That was really the wrong word, wasn't it? That makes me feel like I haven't done a good job of promoting the magazine properly. Yeah, but there's. Well, the good news is that sounds like new blood to me. Yeah, that's the good part. You know, back when Maddie owned the magazine, that was always one of her problems, too, is that uh, it's kind of so personal. You put so much work into it, and it's really not about you in a way. I mean, because the magazine's not about me. It's for all dulcimer players that uh, you're more wrapped up into it more than you would be on some things. And so... You don't want to go, hey, you should look at this. It's a great magazine because that's like saying, hey, look at this. I'm really See, that's good. a weird thing is that you put so much time and effort into it. Uh, and I know it's not the Dan Lander magazine, but you not put so much of you into it that there's got to be a part of you privately that, I mean, it's a major part of your your time and uh, your identity. But you, you, but you have to constantly downplay that to yourself and everybody else. Yeah, so the deal is, if I was efficient, which I'm not, it would be one quarter, no, more than that. It would be, be four months of each year taken up doing just that. Now, that's if I was efficient. <laughs> it probably is about six and a half. Yeah, probably, because I'm not efficient. But we're working on that. Well, um, I'm waking up today after being gone for a long time. I mean, I've been back a couple of days, but I, I slept in this morning for the first time, and I actually oh, slept good. until eight o'clock. Hey, and there's a chance that in the in the background, at some point during this, you might hear a baby. Cause that's you got, crying. You're the baby. Me. We've got the baby over here, and we don't have. Uh, I don't. I still don't have all my doors up yet. I don't have a door to my studio yet. I've got my mom back, and she's uh, oh, doing a little better. She's got that baker cyst in her leg. Mm. We we still don't know what that's going to turn into, but uh, she was gone for about five weeks. That was rough. Oh, wow. Well, uh, we have uh, – I'm, I'm leaving for a festival Wednesday, but tomorrow, Jess Dickinson, uh, Judge Jess, is coming to stay at our house. Justice. And <laughs> I don't have a bathroom door on yet, so – I really feel like I need to have that up. Before Tell him to bring out. his judge's robe. Those things are huge. <laughs> That's true. You could just That's hang great... that in the door. I wonder if he has extras. He's got to have, like, what's his worst one? Could he send that to us? Do you think he has a closet full of those? I need a video backdrop. That would be perfect. 
<laughs> it would lend some credence to what you do. Now, I'm certainly not saying he's a large man. We're, I'm, you know, it's these these robes appear to be quite. They take up a lot of space. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Hey, if there's any questions that anyone would like to ask, like for me to ask the judge, you know, like I could do that while we're driving. See, I asked him all kinds of questions one day. I asked him about UFOs. He said he'd never heard of any or seen any. Um, I asked him about what goes on, you know, with government and all kinds of stuff. It was he all- said he'd never heard of it or seen it. <laughs> <laughs> he had real reasonable uh, responses. I've also done the same thing. Uh, we've got people in the NSA and the CIA, and that's right. We've got people who are generals and colonels, and whenever I, whenever I'm around these folks, and we, you know, we start to get to know each other a little bit. I've never had one of them tell me they've ever seen a UFO. Or, <laughs> now, you know, maybe they're supposed to hide all that stuff. But all of them generally agree that people are too stupid to keep too crazy of a conspiracy secret. Yeah, that's one of the reasons that most conspiracy theories are just nonsense. It's but certainly we know people conspire, right? We, mm. Probably not as much as you think. So, but yeah, well, that's what we already covered. That people yeah. do conspire, right? But it's it's here we go again. I think it's a reactive. It's a it's a reactive rather than a, it's a descriptive conspiracy rather than a prescriptive conspiracy. I think they make you know. a salve for that. You should <laughs> see. I knew you were going to do that. Why do I do it's, every time you launch into logic? It's th- but this isn't logic. This is like I know you don't even out. like logic. This is how things work. Okay. It's, it's, most things kind of occur, uh, well, not, I, I'm just going to say everything just occurs naturally. And as it happens, ducks sort of get lined up in a certain way. And our pattern seeking brains look at those ducks and go, ah, they lined up that way. Somebody lined them up that way. And you know why they did. It's because they want them all to do this. Welcome back. Welcome back to A and E spies living in secret. Our second story for the year is Dan Landrum (laughs) supposedly running a magazine for a very odd instrument while in his secret life he So so listen, the first and this will be the last one. The first three laws of logic you can sum up in this one sentence. A thing either is or it isn't, and it can't be neither or both. I think that I found an exception to that. We'll talk about that privately. Okay, we should. Where in the heck are you headed for a festival? Ashley, Ohio. It's the Buckeye Dulcimer Festival. There you go. Buckeye. That's the state nut, I think. I think so. Or well, maybe it's the state tree. I think that's probably better. I don't know. You know, I was born in Ohio. I'm the state nut. <laughs> hey, so... In getting ready for this festival, and I have to say that, you know, I think I'm probably more ready for this one than I am for most, uh, because I'm working on this thing where I take my festival plans. You should listen to this, Stephen Siebert. Take my festival class plans and turn them into uh, lesson plans that can also be used for dulcimer school lessons. There you go. Yeah, so you multi-use that. And... So there's like these master classes that take place before the regular festival on the weekend. And it's, okay, I'll, just, I'll just read you this because I think this is what we do. This class description for what I'm teaching on Thursday is uh, eventually we all hit the wall of memorization limits. 
One way of freeing up free space is to focus on difficult but common playing techniques as being completely separate from tune learning. And that's going to be the focus in this class. It also so, gets you out of having to teach a song. No, well, I'm teaching songs okay. and, and some of the others. But, but I, I think teaching a song is actually the easiest thing. That's so hard, though. If their technique's not there, then everybody's got this song and nobody can play it. Well, so you just make it be a really easy song. Yeah, and but for an advanced class. Yeah. But then you can show, I don't know. I, I just, so, so on, the, on the next day, actually, it's a similar kind of thing. It's drills, but I'm going to use a specific song around that one. But when you, you know, you and I have labored. We've read each other class descriptions before. Yeah. And it's, it's always a little frustrating because you want to write, hey, I'm going to teach something that we're not going to get in this class because it's probably really too hard to get in the class. But what other way are you going to get it if somebody doesn't introduce it to you and you don't try? Yeah, and you're not going to like it for three years. But on the fourth year, you'll realize it was a great thing. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I, I recently taught at a festival and my my workshop title got changed a little bit, which that just happens sometimes. I mean, you know, you submit it and then it changes a little. So listen to the title of this intermediate advanced workshop. Okay. Best way I can help you. Help is capitalized. Best way I can help you. That's what somebody changed it to? Yeah, I think they changed the title a little bit maybe and then maybe capitalized the word help. I'm not sure. But the funny thing is, you know, some of these festivals, you might only see the title somewhere. You've got to dig to find the I description yeah. and sometimes it gets truncated. So it looks like, you know, I'm selling uh, herbal life or something like that. <laughs> well, uh, it's certainly... And I want to say this, Stephen, and first you're going to think I'm being mean to you, and I'm not, so don't, don't react like I'm being mean. Saying something like that is rather arbitrary. Saying something it, like what? Like the best way I can help you, this is the name of this class, because you don't know that it really is. Well, that's but, the whole point of, of bringing this up, right? Sure. But, but what it really is, how can I make this short? The best way you can, as a teacher at a festival where you're not in the most efficient of teaching environments. Uh, the Pedagogically speaking, festivals aren't the best way to learn, I would say, for a teacher or for a student. No, but, the pedagogically what? Well, your, your pedagogical, your method of teaching right. isn't, it's just not really, maybe the best way to teach at a festival is for you to teach something you're excited about. You as the teacher, yeah. whatever you're really excited about, may be the best thing that you can teach at a festival, because you can convey excitement. I think that's what you want to do: is leave these things with people relatively excited. So, like what you said a few minutes ago, you're not going to like it for two or three years. But two or three years from now, well, if they don't touch it again, for if they don't touch it after the festival's done, it doesn't matter. It's wasted. And so you you have to inspire people to go, hey. There's a lot more things that can be done with this instrument than I'm doing. Well, I mean, yeah, sometimes I think you're there to convey your excitement and your passion. I mean, I think if a student leaves with one little light bulb moment, especially in an hour. But I mean, if I go somewhere and I get three light bulb moments in five days, that I feel like that's pretty good. You know, plus, yeah. 
that sometimes you're just getting a, you're just getting a start on something. You know, you just need to know what your options are to start. You know, what can I start working on? But I know these students, they talk to me. They get different, you know, they get conflicting information from different teachers. And then somebody will say, well, there's really no right way to play it. And I always say, well, you know, you don't want to play it with your feet unless you have to. You know, if you have to, that works. But there's certainly, there's some competing uh, ways of, of there's there's some different ways of doing things that I think can be debated. Um, but really, all I can share for the most part is wh- the way I do it. Now, the way you do it now, but you also might recognize the way they do it in there now. Yeah, the a little right bit. For them to right. be doing it at the moment for them. Right. I mean, I try to be honest about, hey, this thing right here, I've been doing it. I think it's good because of such and such. That might be a myth in my mind, but the more I do it, the more I'm convinced of it. But uh, I want to share it with you anyway. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I know that you, what you do, and I'm not trying to label you and, and put you in a box that's the only place you are, but uh, I think you're more of a uh, of a tunes guy than I am. No. Oh, see? There you go. But you're, you're bringing that up because of your insecurity about your own teaching. Mm-mm. No, I wasn't even talking about teaching at the moment. Gosh, I'm just trying to get you to argue. <laughs> that's easy. Just talk to me. <laughs> no, I think that I'm one of the people in the mountain world that's less known for tunes. So some of the, you know, I always tell people it's not so much about the songs and the tunes. This is about playing. This is about musicianship. Um, it's funny, though, Steve, and maybe my perception of myself was wrong, but when I see you perform, you you rely on tunes in it, your performance. Yeah, the same eight tunes. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, there is that for everybody. But keep right? going, There's, keep going. Well, and sometimes, and I, I don't know that I've ever done this successfully, but many performances at dulcimer festivals and almost all performances at non-dulcimer festivals for me. So at the dulcimer festivals, I often start off with something improvised in the hopes that I'll at some point get to that comfort level that allows me to play as cool a stuff as I do when I'm playing by myself at home. But we both do that because I want to recreate what it's like at home when I'm just jamming. Yeah, that's hard to do. But I I have an insecurity about that because, you know, usually I often I'll start off with something common. So let's say I start off with, uh, Oh, Susanna. Well, before I get into the second thing, I do love to improvise and just make up something, but I'm insecure because yeah. I know people generally like to hear something they can relate to. I know you've told stories surrounding an improv to, to help with that. And But, you know, it's funny because Aaron O'Rourke, I never forget him saying that the when he listens to me, his favorite stuff that I do on stage is when I'm just making up stuff, you know. And so what I do is if I go into Oh Susanna, I really try to fuse those two things. I'm trying to mess with Oh Susanna. You know. Hmm. Yeah. So sorry, Aaron. I suspect you might listen to this. You're but, gonna, don't hurt his feelings. Oh well, he's a sensitive musical guy, so it's really hard to not do that. So you are too, dude. Okay. <laughs> we're we're also sensitive. We are too sensitive. So I think so, like when Aaron's listening to you play old Joe Clark, or even something more complicated, 
I think it's impossible. See, because Aaron's not even here right now, and he's arguing with me, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I never speak for Aaron. Either. I'm feeling him arguing <laughs> right now. But I think it's hard to listen to someone else do something that you also do without a little part of you thinking, I do that better. Right. Well, or I do that worse, one or the other, you know. Well, with Aaron. <laughs> but I mean, if I was listening, I've been listening to these MMA Sorry, fighter guys. Play dulcimer? If you pick on Aaron, I will step through this phone and pick on you, buddy. <laughs> no, the, um, some of these fighters, you know, when you listen to them get together and talk, they're very much like musicians, but they're all talking about fighting. But what's interesting is how they watch each other's game, you know. Um, so-and-so's better on his feet. So-and-so's better on the mat. Um, this guy's had a lot of leg damage over the years. and da, da, da. I mean, but it's... We all do size each other up. But I, to me, I'm, the image that comes right into my head, I hope this isn't bad. But when I was a kid, they used to have arcades. And you'd walk into an arcade, there'd be all the lights and the sounds. And it was like, oh, boy, this is the stuff I'm interested in. And so yeah. when I listen to Aaron play or I listen to you play, there's a certain part of me that just feels like I'm right where I want to be. I'm, you know, I'm in, a, I'm in a jungle of noise, and I'm quite comfortable there. Can I acknowledge that that was a very nice thing that you just said? <laughs> I don't think I said anything nice. <laughs> See, I, I misinterpreted it as nice. <laughs> oh. Well, it's hard to recreate that stuff. Hey, uh, can we change the subject for a second? You're Mr. Subject Changer. Yeah. Here goes. Okay, change it. Change it now. Do it now. So, so I'm working on... Uh, I've mentioned that... Boy, this is going to sound, maybe for people who've been listening for a month or two, like I take a long time working on an arrangement, but the truth is I take a long time when I'm working on an arrangement. So I've been working on this arrangement of, <laughs> of the butterfly yeah. for, for several months now. And it's almost where I like it. Almost there. And I'm going to try to teach some of it this weekend. Uh, and I know I'm playing it in a way that's going to be too difficult for most of the people who show up in my class. Is that okay? But I can show them, you know, the basic song, which they might already know, and I actually even ask them to try to go ahead and know it if possible, so that we can work on ways of... Uh, it's, it's not just ornamenting it, but making it tell more of a story. Yeah. And then... But I'm going to give them sheet music with the arrangement as it stands now. So in working on this sheet music... Goodness gracious, Steve, when you put a bunch of notes on the page, it starts to look impossible. And uh, I just wanted to talk to you about that because, you know, there will be things that you do when you're playing uh, and you're doing Oh, Susanna. And, and you really feel inspired and you try something and it's good. That if you go to write that out, to write out really the timing of what you did, is makes it look it's really hard to read well if so anything that's heavily syncopated is going to be you know for 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 the two of us you know we have to be real careful when we write it out and then when we look at it after the fact it's like um i don't know that the class is going to want to roll with reading yeah. this. and but some the of the little things you do like those flams or a hammer bounce you know you put a few of those things on the paper, and it starts. It starts to. It turns into a lot of black ink. Well, yeah, I'm. I'm so actually, I'm 
I forgot to put my dulcimer right beside me here, but this song's in nine eight, and so it starts out with this flam two three flam so flam two three four five six seven eight nine. But there's a flam at each group of three, so it's yeah, and and when you put all those flams in there, and the flams are an octave lower, so the way you notate that is as a grace note. Yeah, when you've got a grace note, and it's an octave lower, and it's an octave lower. No, 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 it's not an octave lower. It's two octaves lower. It's actually three octaves lower at the beginning. So think about this. If you're really going to do that right, you do it as a grace note. If you use the bass clef, it just looks awful because it's so far down there. You're playing an A2. Excuse me, A... Uh, you're specifying an octave. Yeah, but if you do the thing where you put 8VA... You know, that which says, okay, this thing is an octave or two octaves lower. Yeah. You've got so much stuff stuffed into one measure. It's just almost not readable. Well, that's often where I would... Sometimes, like, I'm imagining how I would do that. I would put one of them in there, and I would write flam under it. And then somewhere else on the page, I might say i improvise adding these types of flams heavily to the first eight measures or something like that yeah or or play in the lowest octave possible for your instrument oh yeah that's interesting so the thing and maybe i just haven't seen enough you don't does that happen on classical music scores i mean do the violinists get something where there's notes from the composer i think in 20th century composition you might have something that says think of your favorite uncle close your eyes and wiggle <laughs> your head as you bow the string yeah, if Mark's listening let us know about that actually. <laughs> no but um, that's a different world because often the composer depends upon the player having a genre specific kind of interpretation that they've learned over the years you know yeah so i'd like to know from two people i'd like to know for those that are classically trained and maybe play instruments and orchestras like mark wade if you're listening to this you know when it was a trumpet piece or, and i'd also like to know from players who maybe want to learn the kinds of things that i play and steve in your case if you're writing something out how much detail do you want to see because to me the piece doesn't really come alive until the details in there but if you put all the detail in the score, it's just so complicated. Yeah, I think that I like, ideally, you know, when um, some of my DVD lessons, what I enjoyed about that was I, the, I could give them seven pieces of the same music. And that first one might be, um, uh, that's my mom calling to renew her subscription. <laughs> the, <laughs> first, so. the first page may be a very simple quarter note representation of the skeleton of the melody. The second one, I throw an eighth note pairs. The third one, I add full strums. The fourth one, I start adding some ornaments or something. I, I really enjoyed being able to give somebody that many versions. And I thought of something, too, that I don't hear other people teach this, but imagine a bunch of quarter notes. You could... And let's take an old folk song, you know, something like Stephen Foster would write. You look up the official melody somewhere, if there is one, and sometimes one of those quarter notes has been elongated with a dot. And, oh, yeah. the, and then what came after it has now been turned into an eighth note. Right. Here's what I do with that. I never obey those because 
I feel like when I'm improvising and I'm interpreting and I'm playing some old folk melody, I might take any pair of quarter notes and do that same thing there. But that's something I do on the spot. And it doesn't mean I'll do it there every time. Um, and so I'm reluctant to write in things like that. What I would rather do is take the class after I give them the quarter note version and say, all right, guys, sometimes I turn a quarter note into a dotted followed by an eighth note pair. And let's practice doing that to the you know, there's so much of how I play that I don't want to write down because it makes it look like I'm laying the law down, and that's not the deal. Sure, and I can hear the uh, the Rick Thumb voice in my head saying to me, "You got to think about the way it was sung." Uh, but but even that, sometimes verses had different words that created a different cadence, so there right. would be some extra notes in that. Ex- so even there's extra syllables, and so. Just because the second half of the measure has got four eighth notes does not mean every time it's going to have that. And just because somebody's singing a bunch of eighth notes for syllables does not mean the strumming should necessarily match that. Well, I guess I was thinking in instrumental music. Right. But I I think um, there's different styles. And the the way we write often uh, has something to do with how we teach and how we play. And we're all different on that. Yeah. I'm finding this this one that I'm working on now to be particularly difficult to write out because there's some stuff I was doing in there uh, where I was playing uh, still in 9-8, though the phrase I was doing would be a 6-8 phrase. Uh, in, uh, it's, yeah, and then, so that's another thing that's complicated. When you have a piece of music in, that's in front of you and you look and it's changing meters all the time, that's intimidating, and maybe that's just my own intimidation. Uh, well, when you been... when we improvise and really just play off the top of our head, not even playing a, a known melody, when I've tried to write that stuff down, it's like I don't want to have to teach that. <laughs> and so right. sometimes students come up and they'll say, "Hey, you were messing around on stage last night before your last tune." That's the stuff I want to learn, you know. But but I would say the majority of students don't want to learn some of of my wackiest stuff, you know. Hey, but I'm gonna I'm speaking past you now and directly to your students or people who are fans of your music. The best way for you to learn to do what Steve does is for you to try to transcribe it. And Absolutely. Take a look at it. Which Be- is oh, hard. So important. It is hard, but it gives you an idea of what goes into it. So you listen to it and it makes you look at it and you go, Okay, so he's not doing that's not really a dotted eighth note there. That's that's three triplets, but he's leaving something out or or it's somewhere in the middle of those two things. Or it's somewhere in the middle, yeah. And so you start, I think that process of discovery is so important. Yeah, but okay, so I had a piano teacher. So I was a jazz piano major for two years until I couldn't cut it. <laughs> um, but I, one of the things I did in my private lessons with my piano guy was he wanted me to transcribe famous solos, you know, and so one of them was off of uh, Miles Davis' Blue album, All Blue, I guess. And uh, I always forget the name. There's the Joni Mitchell Blue album. There's too many Blue albums. <laughs> but uh, he wanted me to write it out. And I remember, you know, I was a freshman in college, and I left there, and I went to the library, and I was actually listening on an LP, I believe. And I was um, thinking, how in the world am I supposed to figure out what this guy's doing? And when I really started 
doing it by ear, it was rough, man. And and figuring out those rhythms and figuring out what octave he was on on the piano and, and what he was playing. And, um, and I came back to him a week later. I think I had eight measures done. And I said, this is, I don't think I'm cut out for this. This is so hard. And he was like, no, 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 no. This is why you're doing this. You're, you're going really deep. You're learning how to listen in a new deep way. You're struggling with what you understand and what you don't. And we'll work through this together. And I didn't do many of those, but I, I can tell you that that's where my, some of my deepest uh, and, and musical enlightenment comes from. But... You know, am I going to ask a dulcimer class to do something that is that deep and that difficult? There certainly will be some people in the class that are up for that, but you, uh-huh. some of them really are just, they, they, it's a vacation. They, they want to have some fun. They want to get some new ideas. Some I don't think you ask anybody to do that. I uh, think yeah. you might suggest that they do it on their own, but unless somebody comes at that out of a desire to do it, there's no Rather way out of a compulsion to do it. You're not going to survive it. There's no way. Yeah. And when when we write something, like you know, one reason I didn't stay a piano major was I couldn't read as well as I needed to, and I also was not interested in getting better. I mean, part of reading, like on piano, is reminds me of learning how to type. You just got to show up every day. You know, there's all these little suggestions. They're great tips. If you do that every day, you will get better. Yeah, but um, so I and I think I'm a lot better. Like I can sight sing Irish tunes and and fiddle tunes, and I'm 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 very thankful for the reading skills I do have. But you and I are both. um, We are not where we'd like to be reading wise. No, not at all. And it's funny to me the stuff that I've heard you tell me about. I just got an insight into into you. Maybe could be wrong, but. The things that I've heard you tell me about how, Dan, you can get better at this if you just practice it every day. Maybe for the first time, I don't know why I didn't think of this, I realized, wait a second, Steve didn't come up with that on his own. That was his. That was, was something a teacher told him. Well, I've been living it. Like any, any way no, that I'm no, able no, to read, to go, I've had to yeah, really work on. But I want to go prior to that, though. But probably a teacher at some point told you that, and that's the importance of teachers. Even if you didn't listen to that teacher at, a to- at the time, what or didn't I didn't do what they said? See, because if if we could go back to that time when you were taking those classes, if you were living at home, and your dad was still alive, it would be interesting to hear what your dad had to say about your practicing or not practicing. You know, because your dad's going to be going, dude, come on, man! If you want to do this, you're going to have to practice. Yeah, my dad would say, Stevie, uh, when I graduated high school. I, w- I went to work in a factory. So I'm sorry. I, I have no advice for you about this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so, so let's assume you had. But yeah, he, he yeah. would say, if this is something you want to do, then do your best. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But and, see, it's, music yeah. has there's so many parts to it. So I was definitely working hard on music, but I was not working real hard on reading piano for sure. I worked harder on sight singing fiddle tunes. And so I'm quite good at that. I can look at a fiddle tune and Irish, you know, but so my, but my point is when, when you write something down or when I write something down and it's pretty complex, it's almost like um, if you don't know Morse code, you can certainly get online and turn a sentence into Morse code, but it doesn't mean that you immediately look at that and have like a, 
a, just a real natural ease and seeing what you did there. And so we're, it's like we're putting something in code. Oh, well, okay. So I'm, go ahead and finish the thought. Well, I feel like I have sympathy for the people I'm working with because uh, we're all at different levels of reading. And so that definitely affects what I put in, what I don't put in, how I put it in. Right. But that, it's that code thing. Is, is it our job to try to demystify the code, to try to teach people that it's important for them to learn the code, <laughs> you know, or somewhere in between? So um, I, I do like the, the, the critical thinking logic stuff. It's one of my favorite things to read about. But if I just say to, you know, the, the average person who's not interested in this at all, well, it's like the difference between consequentialism and existentialism. <laughs> well, then you just didn't say anything. <laughs> I didn't say anything. It's just a waste of time. Uh, now, it depends on your audience, doesn't it? Maybe. Yeah. What? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you're at a, a well, philosophical convention for wackos, they're going to definitely know what words you're using. Yeah, but even then, it, it's like the thing I said with the three laws of logic. It's a sentence that is sort of sort of lays it out there is better, I think, than using the big word sometimes. But sometimes you don't want to use the big word, you know. Uh, and that would be the most efficient way to do it. And so when you're teaching at a Dulcimer Festival, for me to say, well, that's an appoggiatura. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. Appoggiatura. I don't <laughs> yeah. even know either. Yeah. Or that's a turn or that's a mordant. You know, when you use all these words, uh, hmm. I think most people aren't thinking that way. And even if I said, okay, this is the definition of a turn, and that's where you start above. Let's see, is, does turn start above or below? I, I, I passed an exam a long time. But, you know, because I haven't lived that stuff, um, like a, I don't remember. But the, 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 well, that's where in the class I wouldn't use the term. I'd say this here, this thing. A turn, I just remembered. A turn starts above. So is it da na 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 or is it that it, da na na na? It's a triplet, yeah. Da 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 dum. So the the second um, ba ba ba. The point is, bum. we're not very competent with this. But I play them all the time, right? And I'm really competent at executing them on my well, instrument. And and yeah. probably the reason I haven't made a greater effort to learn what these things are really called is because first of all, nobody else knows those words that I work with usually, and also. Um, I'm not following uh, 17th century music, you know, performance uh, uh, conventions or something like that, you know. Yeah, but it's the, but again, it's the language and it's the way that people communicate. So, like, like even for, and I was thinking of like Mark trying to write this, uh, what sounds like it's going to be like a, a six movement thing for Hammer Dulcimer and Mountain Dulcimer together, which is extremely exciting. Uh, if you really <laughs> What other instrument besides a hammer dulcimer, by default, in its default state, every note sustains? There's no such thing as legato. Is there another one? Well, even... I mean, maybe there is. Well, there's like tubular bells, but the player can touch the strings just like you could put your arms on the strings. I mean, and I, but yeah, I mean, you know what he's going to do is... He's going to count on you doing some of your cool, crazy stuff to what he writes. 
you know, I mean, he did put in some ornaments for me. Mm-hmm. And so I would look at a section where he had put those in so specifically and I extracted out of that, you know, well, here's the idea I'm going to do. But I improvised doing that on my own. And I sometimes did it in ways he didn't write. And he even told me he was okay with that. Right. I mean, and that's what we're talking about when we're teaching. Sometimes you just need to give them an idea. And Sure. But like even on something like a, on, on, well, a mountain dulcimer or a mandolin, the notes, they fall off much more quickly. And just by reason of the fact that you're moving your chords around, you're muting. And on, on something like a hammer dulcimer, you're not. And so I even wrestled with that for a little while. Of, you know, do you put dots beside all these to indicate that these are all legato, you know? And then put dots under them to indicate that now they're staccato. All those little choices you make. And, and the sum of all those choices um, is going to lead to how you're generally perceived as a right, you know, as a notator. <laughs> yeah. Because well, there's and, some people yeah. that say, I love so and so's tab, it's so clear. You know. Yeah, well, I'm falling squarely in the camp of what you said earlier. I think writing a descriptive paragraph for an instrument like this, and that's why I think dulcimer school is such a great thing. I mean, that's. Uh, I think being able to show it to somebody Video, and explain man. it to them, video's the way, and it is. It's not going away. I mean, it's here for people to learn now. I mean, imagine if you um, you were looking, at, you had one of those new iPads, <laughs> those big ones. And yeah. um, there are people doing really good recordings on those, by the way, Steve. And there's like asterisks on six of the measures. And when you touch that measure, there's a video that explains, you know, here's what I actually play here. I mean, that, that makes up for a lot of stuff. The yeah. video really, being able to do video soothes all the anxiety I have about trying to express what I'm doing. And also, if, if I write everything out in standard notation, Almost nobody can read that on a mountain dulcimer. But in your world, <laughs> yeah. I, I know there's some there's some tablature kind of things, but for the most part, isn't it notation that does it? Well, it depends. And notation means the traditional notes like you see in a hymn book versus yeah. some other alternative. But I think what happens most of the time is people start to do that and they go, oh, man, this is if I write this on a grand staff, which means you have the, the bass staff and the clebel. Uh, tr- the clebel. <laughs> And the treble clef, <clears throat> it becomes pages and pages. And so I think it's one of the reasons you don't see a lot of that. People just tend to write on the treble clef, and it's as if they're writing for smaller instruments, and then you kind of have to figure it out on your own. Yeah, Mountain Dulcimer really... We, we play, we, I regularly play with such a range that it really would, for me... I, I, would, I wish we were all used to uh, grand clef, where you get the treble and the bass, but... That it's impractical, eighty percent of the time. So, but it's almost impractical. So, like in some of the stuff that I write, that I'm I'm doing low, walking bass lines and things. And if you start putting all those lines, you know, on multiple lines, yeah, ledger lines, up, eight and, and eight and ten below or above. That's yeah, crazy. I assume that other people don't like that either. It's just it's the opposite of a clean video, style. dude. Yeah, that's why video. That's exactly right. But. But what? I mean, so if I make if I make a reasonable attempt to write it out and uh, and then the video goes with it, I feel like they work together. 
the, you know, the, the video makes up for, and sometimes I want, I want what's written to be more basic and I want the video to explain stuff like the dotted quarter followed by the eighth. And right. It's a, yeah, well, it's a, you're teaching, you're not just doing cheap music. So let me, let me give a little advice on how to get better at reading. Cause I have gotten better at reading. All right. Um, and I, 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 I'm just going to keep it simple. Here's one way you could do it. And this is what my piano teacher recommended. You find a stack of music that's somewhere around your ability, a little higher, probably just a little higher. And every day for 30 minutes, you set a pace where you're going to be able to read 80% of it. Roughly. You don't stop to fix things. Um, you generally keep your eyes on the paper and you try to stick to the tempo and the correct rhythms. Um, and you end up kind of fudging it quite a bit, but you just do that 30 minutes a day. And this is the same kind of thing that'll help you be a better typer, typist. Um, you know, probably the hard part for me is getting that stack of music. Uh, there is software out there, like for piano, there's a website where it tests you. And it took me about an hour and a half to do the tests. And it figures out roughly what your reading ability is. And then it feeds you uh, sometimes procedurally created music, sometimes actual music. And you just show up and do that. And it's, it's kind of like adaptive learning. The system is always keeping an eye on you. I think that's cool. Um, if we kept show notes and things, we could put this kind of information in them. <laughs> you know, and I did a lot of research on that, and I found the best site, but I would have to dig through. I did it for about a week, and I know I got better. Um, but I'll tell you what, my piano skills, I'm, I'm, pre I'm okay on the piano if I'm going to improvise and, and make up stuff. But if I'm going to sit there and read sheet music, um, I am an advanced beginner <laughs> when it comes to that. Hmm. But I think... Um, so why did I put the focus so on fiddle tunes early on sight singing? I remember thinking. Did you mean to say sight singing? Yeah. If I can okay. sight sing fiddle tunes, that's probably going to, that was, you know, I was doing a little, uh, that was the most important thing I could learn when I, when I was first working on dulcimer. I wanted to be able to pick up a book of fiddle tunes and sight sing the fiddle tune. And I got to, I shouldn't say this, and I never hardly ever say this, but I'm going to say it on a, on a distributed podcast. Um, I kept the uh, Fiddler's Fake Book in the restroom, and uh, we don't need to go into that well, any Cindy further. Well, Cindy Lauper did too, so. Uh, well, that was, uh, you're thinking of, uh, oh, Dolly shoot. Dolly Parton? No, Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg, okay. But I, I would, for about no 10. no about Cindy Lauper's or Dolly Parton. <laughs> of about 10 minutes a day in the restroom, I would try to sight sing. And at first, I was not good. But that's really served me well, you know. So I think you can figure out how you want to read, and you can get better at it. And when you go to write things down, you're going to, it's going to be rough. There's the baby crying. Isn't that a wonderful sound? I think it's good. Um, so let's say that you're making progress with your reading and you're wanting to teach or you're wanting to share your music with people, let's, let's talk about some of the tools we've run into for notating, whether it's regular notation or tablature. Well, I'm a big fan of MuseCore, M-U-S-E-C-O-R-E. MuseCore. Yeah, MuseCore. Muse <laughs> you're the one who turned me on to that. 
but you don't really use it, right? You know, if I have to write out a simple melody or a lead sheet that has nothing to do with dulcimer tablature, if it's just pure notation, I'm probably going to download the update to MuseScore, pump the music in, and uh, yes, I use it on a basic level. So let me tell you what I like about it. And, uh, well, there's, there, here's, here's three quickies. I don't know if it's going to be three. I'm just going to start talking. It's going to be seven. It might be two and a half. The first off, it won an award probably that was two or three years ago for the best open source software. And uh, they have these conventions because it is so well documented and it's so well supported. Yeah, and, and open source software, for those who don't know, we get together and play dulcimer. But some of these computer right. guys that are programmers, they like they have little clubs where they get together and work on a project. And so a bunch of them were passionate about making a, a, a notation program. And so it's free. It's updated well, like every week, you know. Because notation software is expensive. And it's not as bad as it used to be, but it used to be Mosaic and Sibelius and uh, what was the finale? Those programs in the 80s and early 90s were, I mean, they were 500 to $1,200. Right. And now you're looking at, I don't know, three, four, five, six, something like that. And Muse, Muse score. It sounds like some kind of a nasal thing when you say. It that. sounds like something that you like. You need help, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it's free. It's absolutely free, and it's open source. Mac, it's, Linux, Windows. Mac, yeah, it works on all the platforms, and it works really, really well. And it's not like some pared down. See, remember when Finale was offering like Finale Notepad, so you only had to pay ninety nine dollars, and you got something that barely did anything. Well, it was for just basic, basic notation, which. Yeah. Sometimes was all I needed. Yeah. Right. But this isn't like that. This is this thing's deep. Works really well and there's almost anything you can do with it. And let's not talk about tablature yet. We're just talking about strict traditional notation. Yeah, well I wanna I wanna stick to Mu score for just a minute more to tell that something what I also think is cool about it is you don't have to have just quickly, I'm gonna describe here's the way you enter. And I'm gonna I'm gonna do it from a Mac point. If you're on a PC, just think alt instead of command when I say this. So you put your hands on your computer keyboard, and if you want it to be, let's say you're just starting from scratch and you tie and you're scoring in C, so there's no sharps or flats, but you could pick that. But let's say it's C, you would just press C with your finger like you were typing, and a C is going to pop up there, and it's going to default to middle C. But if you wanted it to be one octave higher, you'd go Command Up Arrow, and it would immediately jump that one up and be in the position for the next one. So all of your notes you input off of your computer keyboard. And if you want them to go an octave up or an octave down, you do so. If you want it to be an accidental, which means have a sharper flat, you just hit the up arrow once or down, and it does that. And that know. seems awkward, but I got pretty good at it. You know, yeah, you've got to works. embrace it a little bit. It works really well. So you'll also, so if you want to change the duration of the note, and I think this is the way Finale works. It's the way it works in Digital Performer, too. You just do that with the uh, the numbers, the top row of numbers. And And what I ended up, what I've done more often is I've got like a MIDI piano keyboard hooked up and I turn on the click and I just play in the thing. Um, sometimes you got to go back and fix that, but it's been pretty good doing it that way. Yeah, I think maybe that might work for you better than it does for hammer dulcimer stuff, with the, which is highly ornamented. You know, I don't know. Lots of flams and lots of weird timing things. I mean, even that. if you put a flam in on the keyboard, it doesn't always know what it got. It sometimes can presume it's an error. You can go in and tell it, uh, more specifically, how to interpret what you do. But 
Uh, I've used a lot of systems, and I think MuseScore is definitely, you know, you can get comfortable with that. I I like it. So I have like two or three on my iPad, none of which I use. You? Well, I talked to Mark, and when you said Mark earlier, that's Mark Steigner. He said, you know, the dream is that you could take a pencil and just write out stuff. And a computer can turn that into, you know, nice, pretty notation. He said that was the whole reason. I could be wrong about this. I got the feeling he was a Mac guy, but I I could be wrong. But I do remember he said specifically that was the whole reason he got one of these Microsoft, uh, like, the computers Pro. that has, like, a pen tablet on it or something. Yeah, or like, maybe, like, the Surface Pro, which is their, which is their Mac daddy. But he said um, it just wasn't, it just doesn't cut it yet. He said it's not there yet. But what he wants to do is take like a stylus on the screen and just throw that stuff in. Um, I think that all that's just hopefully going to keep getting better. I know that Finale, if you start to compare Finality to Sibelius, Finale to Sibelius, there's um, a lot of people, and Mark told me this, he's like, you could go one way or the other. There's definitely pros and cons of each, but pretty much you just, dig into one and it's what you start learn. working That's right. yeah. i think that for me and it's not for you not for you but for a big consideration for me is tablature and i know in the old days um like janita baker's got and and rob Brereton, they have a way of using finale finale would not support diatonic tablature so you, you six and a half one and a half or a four-string arrangement, or a DAC tuning. You know, it starts to get real iffy on that. But um, I know that Janita and Rob specifically got good at doing stuff like that. So you've got some people out there, I think Maureen Sellers maybe, they got good at using, like some people would enter tablature. You know, that's where you see a number on the string instead of a traditional music note. They got good at using uh, a, a lyrics function. So you're actually entering lyrics, but it's really tablature. That's, well, it kind of applies. That's how I do hammer markings. And, okay. And I, I have I have quite a few people actually now who I've given, and, and I'm telling everybody, I'm giving everyone permission to use this. And write me if you, I'm not gonna explain it now, but I came up with a pattern of a way of marking hammers whether it's left side of the bridge or right side of the bridge that uh, marks the music to let you know where to play each note. And it was kind of cool at first when it, uh, I think Stephen Humphreys was the first one to ask. Yeah, I really enjoyed you explaining that to me. That was a neat system. Yeah, so maybe sometime, you know, we can talk about that, but it's not worth it now. But you may have to come up with some stuff like that for, for instance, uh, do you have any way, for, for instance, if you were playing cluck old hen and scoring it and don petty was scoring cluck old hen his strums would be going in a different direction from yours often yeah but he's also an improvisational strummer but but yeah so every time he does it it's different but you could certainly notate a representative example but you know like i ended up transcribing one of his records once um and there's a book now and you can get it and I would try to pick you know I would listen to one of his, this was where I really learned a lot by the way this really helped my ear listening to Don Petty at half 
or three-quarter speed. Um, I would pick one of the times he played the tune. I'd pick. I'd have to pick one, and then I would write it out note for note. And the strumming directions are not in there. I think the best advice for that is, why don't you go study with Don a little? Why don't you watch some of his videos? <laughs> pick up on what his improvisational strumming style is, and then you should... You absolutely can can then make some real good use out of that sheet music. Sure. So let's say let's say we could have a uh, a, a, a robot absolutely mimic. I mean, absolutely mimic on a relatively fast song, and you'll see why I'm saying that for in a minute. Absolutely mimic you, and absolutely mimic Don Petty playing the same song. If you reversed the strumming pattern on that robot, which would be easy to do. And it still mimicked you the same. Would would the listener know without seeing it? If the timing was still exactly the same. Well, there's subtle timing, really subtle timing that's you can that's different between like the two of us. Right, but I'm if talking it really about, yeah. mimicked all the if it if it played exactly like us, I think a, an experienced player would have a a clue like, hey, this kind of sounds like Don Petty or something. No, but I'm saying if you took Don Petty and it mimicked him exactly, except you hit the reverse switch on it and it reversed the strums. You mean and every out it, became an in? Every out became an in and every in became an out. And yeah, everything because stayed exactly the same. Not always, but like Don tends to, not always, absolutely, but he tends to play what's on the beat with an in more often than an out. And so the big important notes of the melody happen to be on the beat. And so you're going to hear that swish sound okay. of low, middle, high. Low to high, yeah. Yeah, I mean... That's what I was wondering. It's a subtle difference. To me, it's like, a, what is that in wine when they say, I, I smell a hint of strawberry and oak? Somebody somebody <laughs> being pretending like they know something they don't. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I think that with dulcet... Well, I don't know. You, you're a wine hater, apparently. No, but that's been, that's been so tested. Those... You know, when they put an, a fancy label on a cheap bottle of wine, people all of a sudden talk about its nose, you know, and it's it, the bouquet. You're a wine way. hater. I'm I'll not, tell you I what. I'm not you, an alcohol person. That's true. Uh, you would be. Look, we're getting off topic. So We have a topic? I, no. <laughs> I have to mention table edit. Yeah. Which, um, and since we are not French, I will pronounce that as an American Table English head. speaker. Um, no notation program is perfect, but for me, this one in, in the running to festivals, preparing handouts, doing books, doing handouts for videos, Table Edit has absolutely been the best thing. Once you get used to the parts that are a little strange, once you get used to the note entry, like my favorite thing on Table Edit is every measure has a ruler hovering over it. And it's a ruler that can be marked off in eighth notes, sixteenths, thirty seconds. So I put my left hand on the arrow keys to determine where my cursor is on the tablature. And my right hand is on a number keypad. And as long as I place the note on the right place corresponding to that ruler, table edit 99% of the time guesses correctly what the time value of that note is. It knows what a quarter, eight, sixteenth. Okay. I never have to, almost ever, just mostly on triplets, but so almost somebody, never do I have to enter in the value of the note, which is awesome. 
as somebody who is reasonably intelligent, I just listened to you describe that and I didn't get it all. Is there a place where I could see you doing that? You teach <laughs> That's funny. Um, if you if you go to YouTube, let me type let me type this in and um, see what I got. The best part of any podcast is when somebody's doing a web search. I've been told. Um, so let's see. If you put in Seifert Table Edit into YouTube, the very first one that comes up it says Table Edit Speed Demo, <laughs> and um, and that at least lets you see what I'm doing. I'm moving a cursor around blank tablature, the three lines that represent the strings of the dulcimer. I'm putting in the fret numbers, and Table Edit correctly is guessing all the note values. And um, I've even used Table Edit to put in standard notation. Um, but the, the thing that's nice about Table Edit is that it's created for somebody who plays a guitar, and so a lot of the ornamental-type things that you might not find in Finale are a little more specifically put in Table Edit. And it, yeah, no, nothing's perfect, but... It's looking for people who need... But the help stuff. I have, like Sibelius and Finale, that I believe have the... Well, I know Sibelius does. There's the ability for uh, some independent developer to make a plug-in you know, and so at some point that might get better. When I talked to the finale people at a NAM convention, they said um, they're aware that people would like there to be more dulcimer features, but there's just not enough of us to, for them to justify a development team to make that happen. Yeah. Now, the other thing is that uh, Sibelius was bought out by Avid and the I believe the entire Sibelius development team left Avid. And I think they, some of them are in London. And they're actually, for the last two years maybe, they've been developing a new music software. And oh, really? So a whole lot of people are wondering. And it, it, there's a blog, and you can look at the development of it. Um, a whole lot of people have high hopes for that. Um, but I'll tell you, let me, I got to get this out there about table edit. It's, it's what I've done all my books in, all my handouts. And generally, if there's a bug or a feature I'd like to see added or a feature that needs some tweaking, um, or needs to be fleshed out, I take adequate screenshots. I bring them in to uh, Photoshop. I circle things. I put arrows. I note, you know, I'll write and say, uh, when I hit this, this is supposed to happen. But as you can see, I get this. You know, I give him a paragraph. I give him some screenshots. I also attach my table edit file. If you'll be clear and friendly, uh, Matthew, who writes that software, sometimes the next morning, you'll have an email saying, thanks for the uh, advice. I've gone ahead and implemented that function. Download the latest update. So if if all of us who use table edit really get behind it and help him, he's been yep. very generous and making it match what we need. And you can set the number of strings. You can tell it where your capo goes. And <laughs> for table edit, um, and I'm using this on a Mac, the PC version is a little different. The iPad version is different, but um, I don't know if it was six or seven years ago or something, I made uh, about six hours of instructional videos for Table Edit on a PC, and those have been available and free for years, but uh, 
the format got old. I, uh, I got, I had hackers, like, I don't know, like these robot hackers from Russia and Korea messed with it. Um, so that's not currently available. I hope to come out with something soon, but if, um, if people want to write something out, there's certainly plenty of software. I was going to keep talking about this terribly boring topic, but I see you have a child in your lap. Yeah, other people can't see it. Oh, I scared her by Is that a little girl? That's my little girl. That's my little granddaughter. That's so cute. Isn't she beautiful? It totally looks like Angie. Hello, sweetie pie. Mm, that's, that's me kissing a baby. I'm hoping she'll say something. Hey, Steve, you're a good guy. So and you're going to just bail on the podcast because no, you have tell a you baby why. why? <laughs> this is important. I'm still in the podcast. I'm just holding a baby. That's right. That's Not right. Not just a baby. This is Gwen. Hi, Gwen. Quinn's scared to death of you with those headphones on. Well, I'm talking. I'm, you look oh, like a stormtrooper. Well, just a second. She's making her about to cry face. Don't cry. Can you say hi to Mr. Steve? This is good radio right here. Hey, I don't listen, know. Here's why I think you're a good guy. Why? Uh, you're helping out a small developer. That's a big deal. So who's willing people, to listen. Who's willing to listen, yeah. And as opposed to going... This software stinks. It doesn't do this or it doesn't do this right. And that's that's a good thing in this small world. So even, uh, you know, our dulcimer world is small, but the world of people willing to write tablature programs for mountain dulcimer is even smaller. Or pay attention I think to so. It, right? When I was in a photography class, he said, look, I love pictures of kids more than anybody. But when you do your projects for this class, I don't want to see pictures of kids. Everybody's just going to say, oh, that's cute. And we, we hardly have any uh, objective ability to you know, judge yeah, your work. So please. Right. So that's what you're you've got this kid here. I can't think. Oh, she's she's distracting you. I don't know. I mean, we haven't been talking for the past three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll we'll finish up. Somehow, I've got to like bring it around to the baby and dulcimers. No, you and see don't. No, you don't. We're just real people. I, I'll I'll wrap us up here. I think one of the reasons I said that you're a good guy and do all that is because I think uh, that's what we're asking people to do for us, too. If you like the work that Steve's done, like the thing that you did on YouTube to show people how to use. Uh, how to use Tabble at it? You're not getting, you're not getting paid for that, and that's just kind of part of what you do for the community, and that's why we need people to uh, subscribe to Dulcimer Players News and Dulcimer School and come to these festivals and order music off of Steve's website. All I guess stuff. if that's what they're into. Well, if they've made it this far in this podcast, hopefully they are. Hey, and I'm going to encourage people to take a really good class on wine tasting. Well, no, no, no. Here's the minimum they can do for us. I think we got to push us just a little bit more. Here's are the, you doing an ad? Here's the minimum. It's kind of like an ad. Dan's been making Christmas tree ornaments. <laughs> Go to iTunes and give us a rating. Oh, that would be good. Yeah, and say something nice if you can. And honestly, if all we have are good ratings, it looks fake. So please, some real honest but negative ratings would be great. Well, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, I mean, what do I... We're going to get a bunch of negative ratings done. Okay, I love Sweetwater.com. I've bought a lot of stuff from Sweetwater. I've been to their store. They're super... Customer service is fantastic. Yeah. I really like that company for many reasons. I just called but them when today. You look at, when you look that's funny. When you look at the reviews on their site, there are no negative reviews ever of any product item ever. End of story. Boom. I mean, there might be 
somebody gets a, f- a four and a half stars instead of five, but it's like yeah. But you, I think you're you're missing something here. They have an audience of millions. We have like thirty five people. <laughs> and if two people go, well, I'll do what Steve said. Just give them a negative review. I estimate we have roughly two hundred and twenty seven listeners. Okay. You know. Maybe. So we're going to you I know you're in wrap up mode. You must have dinner ready. But we're going to England soon. Oh, we didn't even talk about that. We're going to England soon. Yeah. Wow. And I'll tell you what it's called. It's um I don't know how to pronounce this. Hallsway Manor, H A L S W A Y Manor. We've got to write him to make sure he really knows we're coming. We need to call him actually. Okay, well he but, knows um, we're coming. They've advertised it on Facebook, and we're good. It's it's rough. It's 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 west and a little bit south of London. Um, it I you know I've never been there, but when you look on their website, which is Halls hallswaymanor.org.uk, it it kind of reminds me of something like. Um, Augusta or Swannanoa or something yeah, like that. Yeah, except it looks like a much nicer place than we deserve to be going to. It looks crazy cool, and somehow I'm going to be a third wheel, right, on this trip. Angie's coming. No, she's not. She's just me and you, baby. Are you? Why wouldn't she come? It's not you. This is not a podcast subject. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if it's just the two of us, let's get our act together. I got to get a passport. I'm probably going to have to pay the rush fee. You don't have a passport? Oh, wow. I've done this before. I think you pay an extra 60 bucks. Yeah, you need to get on that ship. You need to get on it. So if you're in England... Um, We're going to see you soon. We are willing to do things. If you've got an idea, you know, if you've got an idea for a gig... Um, or you you want some kind of I don't know <laughs> workshop? Do you think we would even know how to mow a lawn in England? We I'd be to up do for things. it. I could wash an old Bentley or something. That's right. We could wash the plane. I w- we could wash. The- offer that maybe. I bet they wouldn't let us. Hey man, you, I know why you want to get off of here. I'm hungry. No, it's because that baby's getting ready to unleash a, a, a load of crying. No, actually, uh, Missy's going to be here with uh, Barrett to pick up the baby in a minute. Well. Hey, can I wait? Here's here's another one. This is this has changed my life. Oh no. If you noticed I haven't cleared my throat, I think, one time during this. You're right. What's going on? I took Prilosec starting about three days ago. What is Prilosec? It stops heartburn. And it's not like it's throwing some it's not like taking a Tums. It's and actually, you eat well and you work out. It's you know, yeah, I Yeah, but I've had this for a long time. I remember You probably need this. Well, it turns out it just adjusts the pH in your stomach, and you only take it for two weeks. And sometimes it lasts for months and months and months after that. Yes, and I've told you this, dude. When I was in early in college, I started taking Tums, and it was like I needed them all the time. Yep. And when I finally quit taking Tums, like I just I got through two or three days without them. I didn't need them ever again. And I think it's like chapstick, where the more you use it, the more you need it. So I I like that idea that you take this Prilosec for a couple of weeks and maybe it kind of so yeah you oh that's like a new man mm-hmm and so chapstick what's cool about that we're really rambling now but that's okay chapstick I only need that when I want to feel like I did when I was a child because there's nothing like the smell of chapstick because it mi- could, it remind it would remind me of my dad and it's the only reason I would put it on and it would I'm gonna do it when my lips aren't chapped I, d- I did just a couple of days ago I was just like oh oh man I put that on just yeah so anyway hey. my dad always used chapstick 
And um, I put on one of his coats the other day because mine, I couldn't find it. Yeah. And I went up to the bank or something and I reached into my pocket to look for my oh. keys or something and I reached in and there was the chapstick. Oh, man. <laughs> That's good. Those are good memories, dude. Alright. Hey, if you uh, need any help writing music out, let me know. Yeah, you're available all the time. I'm honestly hoping that uh, you need zero help. <laughs> <laughs> hey, goodbye. Adios. Adios.